Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham Smythe for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show. Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Number two here on this Wild Wednesday edition. And again, UNLV announcing Barry Odom as their new head football coach, the 13th in program history. And uh, good luck to Coach Odom coming over from the University of Arkansas as a defensive coordinator the past three seasons. Head coaching experience, very important. Had those th- four seasons at the University of Missouri from 2016 to 2019. And uh, we look forward to talking to Coach Odom here very, very soon as he in the process of uh, getting staff together, re-recruiting his players, families here, moving everything from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Speaking of Fayetteville, Arkansas, appreciate Houston Nutt joined us last hour from CBS Sports. And of course, he knows all about the SEC, the former head coach there at Ole Miss and Arkansas, Boise State, and yes, Murray State. Great stuff from Houston Nutt last hour. So if you missed any of that, you can go to the website, check all that out a little bit later on, uh, or wherever you find your podcasts at tcmartinshow.com. All right, we continue on with more college football. We talk about, with our very good friend, the one and only, the pride of BYU, the pride of, what, uh, a dozen seasons in the NFL, and, of course, does a fantastic job with ESPN, as I like to say, the college football guru, the 15-time Emmy Award winner, Trevor Maddich. What is up, my man? Mr. TC, Mr. TC, I'm looking forward to this bowl season. I'm looking forward to this playoff like I haven't this way in a while. There's some outstanding matchups. It's going to get exciting. It is, you know what? You know, I have uh, haven't really paid too much attention or even asked you this because you're humble. You're never going to tell me these things. But I've been saying 15-time Emmy Award winner for about the last you know, year or two. Uh, you, did you add any more there in your in your closet that I don't know about? Should, should I be giving you more credit? Uh, I think so. I think I have 17, but my wife thinks it's, <laughs> she thinks it's 17. Um, I, I kind of think it might be 15. I don't know. Cause they are, they are in the closet. I just have to go in there and count the boxes, I guess. Um, I just like to, I like so, accuracy, my friend. I like accuracy. I, I want you yeah. to go count them for me. Okay. When you, you have some spare well, time. If, if you, if you say 15, it is accurate because there are at least 15 there. <laughs> so what is it? What uh, is that like? Can you, can anyone fathom what it's like to have 15 Emmy awards? I mean, this is like, let me slap myself upside the head here or whatever. I don't know, man. That's a, that's a, that, no, that's record. 25 is better. 25 is better. All right. Well, yeah, yeah 25 is better. I, I'm, I, I am imagining that. Yeah. You know what? It's really cool. You know, I understand kind of what it's about. You know, and, and it doesn't mean necessarily, you know, as much as some people might think it means. It, it means that your, your peers think that you're doing work at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And that, that's an honor. At the same time, you know, this business is all about what you do next. And, and I think it's important to, to recognize that what we do, and you do it too, TC, and you do it at the highest level is what we do is we serve the fan and we, we serve the fan with the best content 
you know, information analysis, entertainment value, and combination of all that. And so, you know, I've been recognized for doing that. But at the same time, I just enjoy doing that so much. And I hope that the fans think as much of my work as the uh, some of my peers seem to have in the past. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I've been with ESPN a long time. You do it at the highest level. Fantastic job. And you are, uh, you know, so well-deserved to have all of those Emmys, <laughs> whether they're 15, 16, 27, whatever it is, uh, Trevor Maddich. So uh, just appreciate it. And again, he's one of the hardest working guys in the industry, too. To make time with us uh, multiple times a week, can't thank you enough, my friend. And, and I know our listeners appreciate it because you are one of the hardest working guys in this industry so uh props to you brother props thanks that's one of my most favorite things to do is come on with you and talk Mm -hmm. to talk to your audience and stuff like that i mean it's tremendous fun by the way 27 emmys what kind of pressure are you trying to put on me man are you trying to beat me down with expectation what's going on well now that you got the beard i mean you never know that that could be you know there there you go so i don't know oh (laughs) man hey uh speaking of beards i don't know how much of a tv watch you probably don't have time to watch watch tv but did you ever um See the uh, Showtime series, um, uh, Your Honor with uh, Brian Cranston. It was phenomenal, phenomenal. Well, he's coming back for season two, and I don't recognize him because he's coming back with the Trevor Maddich full beard, but it, but it's much more grayer than you. And he's got like the, the hasn't had a haircut probably, you know, since they, they, they quit filming. But I guess the next season is all about him being reclusive and everything. It's kind of remind when I'm seeing the trailers, it's kind of reminding me of you, Trevor. You know, they had to, they had to call me to get permission for him to wear that beard. You know, and they offered a lot of money. I said, no, 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 you go ahead and do it. You don't have to pay me for it. And he's so good. To go. He's so good. Actually, I haven't, I, I, I've never even heard of that show. What's yeah. it called? Yeah. It's called Your Honor. Uh, and it's phenomenal where he's a judge. And, uh, you know, he's dealing with some, some issues there, some family issues, trying to protect his son. And, uh, the first season was outstanding. Didn't even know if there was, you know, going to be a second season or not. And now they're, they're coming back with a second season. He looks like Trevor Maddich. No, he looks, he looks a lot worse than you. He, he really does. Hopefully he gets it cleaned up maybe by episodes two or three. I don't know, but that's going to start here, uh, right after the first of January. So go check it out. I know you'd enjoy it. I will check it out and let you know what I think. There you go. All right, my friend. Uh, we've been talking about Barry Odom today, the new head coach here at UNLV. Uh, Trevor, give me some thoughts on Barry Odom because I know that you got a chance to, to watch his teams play when he was a head coach at Missouri. He's been the defensive coordinator the past three seasons uh, for Sam Pittman there at Arkansas. Uh, what are your thoughts on the UNLV hire? He's rock solid. I mean, he's just solid. He He has led programs at the highest level. I mean, Missouri and the SEC, for goodness sake. And then defensive coordinator at Arkansas. I mean, when you're in the SEC, you're competing against the best coaches and the best players. And so he brings to UNLV the ability to to round out a program and do the administrative things that need to be done at the highest level. Because if you don't do those at the highest level in the SEC, you get smashed because you're not as efficient as you could be. And then from a standpoint of, of game planning, he's proven that he's an outstanding defensive game planner, you know, and, and especially his defense has had a hallmark of takeaways. And that's important because that's, that's a key part of, of winning football games, especially as you're rounding out your talent. And when you put all that together, TC, he's a guy that's just respected in the world of college football. I think he'll be able to pull in a tremendous staff. I think recruits and their parents will understand that this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. You know, he's not a, he's not a flashy guy that comes in and tries to dazzle people with coolness. 
you know, he's the guy that, that has done it, been there, done that at the highest levels. And he's going to, he's going to endeavor to do it here in Las Vegas. And I think, uh, I think this was a rock solid hire. You know, you've got some roots going way back, you know, with the Mountain West Conference, as we know. I mean, you played in BYU, and I know you still follow the conference to a certain degree, even though you're so busy, you know, really covering, you know, the the Power Fives and everything. But what type of coach can build a program like UNLV from ground zero to, you know, not only be respectable, but to be a contender and to be a conference champion? Well, you need to be able to develop. You have to identify and develop players that other schools pass over for whatever reason. And you see, I mean, Boise State, I think, is the most famous one of those in recent years where they'll take guys that played eight-man football in the in the outback mountains of of um, Idaho, bring them in, and, and develop them into first-round draft choices. I mean, Leighton Vander Esch, who uh, was a guy exactly with that story, was actually a preferred walk-on to Boise State. Nobody even offered him a scholarship, not even Boise. But they saw in him as an eight-man football player uh, that did whitewater rafting, guiding in the summertime, and just everything you can imagine out in the out in the um, exploring the outdoors of Idaho. They brought him in and taught him how to play linebacker, and he ended up being a first-round draft choice of the Dallas Cowboys. And that's the kind of player that Coach Odom and his staff will have to identify and then coach up. And really, it starts with identifying the culture that they want. Because you don't just want to bring in somebody that you think might be able to go, you know, or might be able to develop. You want a guy first and foremost that that fits the mindset that you want. And typically, when you're in a, a place like UNLV needing to do what they need to do to get to where they want to go, that's going to be a guy who loves the game of football, not because of the trappings of success and all the glory and social media hits, but because they just love the game. They love being with their teammates. They love the weight room. They love the, the practice field. And, oh, yeah, games are fun, too, right? Those kinds of guys are the ones that you can really develop, and that's where you need to start. So that's the first thing that they will do, or one of the first things when it comes to players, because uh, you, you said it well in the intro that he is going to recruit his own players. He doesn't want the best of those to leave in the transfer portal. But when when he thinks about the culture he wants to build, it's a lot easier to build it from the start than to bring in a bunch of guys and try to win early and then figure out how to build the culture that you want. You end up in, in trouble when you do that. So, you know, I really think that that he has a, a plan to identify the kind of player that he wants and a plan to go find them and bring them in. And he's going to have to go to some out-of-the-way places and get some guys like Leighton Vander Esch, that other schools that he's competing with, they won't drive out to that little high school. You know, they won't drive out. To, but you do that also by driving out to that little high school and getting another coach, right? And then you get to know the next coach. It's the next little out-of-the-way place. And every once in a while, you'll have those guys say, look, I got a receiver. He's only 5'8". No one's going to recruit him, but he's super fast. He's super quick. Uh, he'll fit into your culture, and he's going he's gonna to help you win. So you get a phone call like that, and you drive out in the middle of nowhere, you meet the kid, and the next thing you know, you can build some talent that way that other schools miss. Art Bryles, when we talk about him, you know, on the field, only on the field, because at Baylor he had horrific scandal off the field. But on the field, that's one of the ways that he built Baylor into a power was that he had a relationship because he coached high school football in Texas with Texas high school f- coaches everywhere, especially in the small out of the way places. And he got a pipeline of players from those kinds of places. So it'd be great if Coach Odom can get the higher rank ranked guys 
recruits and stuff and the guys out of the transfer portal. But really, it's going to be the relationships that he develops with high school coaches that other schools don't develop that are going to really help him. Also, keep this in mind that in the transfer portal, we always hear about the big names. We hear about Caleb Williams, quarterback, going from Oklahoma to USC and what a year he had and all that. But many, if not most people in the transfer portal have trouble finding a new home. And there's a lot of talent in there. And I think there'll be a lot of recruiting in the portal. So those guys that maybe wouldn't have thought about coming to UNLV might say, yeah, well, UNLV is the place I got to go because nobody else is noticing what I can do. And then cherry pick players from that portal. So there's a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, that's a great point, too, because people think about the transfer portal. They just think about uh, the upper echelon guys. That, that we hear about and but you're right there, there are some gems in there that you know could land at a place like UNLV and final thing on UNLV here Trevor is that you know no one outside of Vegas you know talks about UNLV football and again you know it's not on the national landscape at all and we know that some of the higher profile coaches that you know they no we're, we're going to turn this down they, they do not want to you know tackle this type of of job this you know massive rebuilding you know project but wouldn't you agree that, you know, that UNLV is probably primed right now, maybe in the best shape that it's ever been for a coach to come in and, and turn it over, turn it around because of the Fertitta football complex, be, because of maybe the increasing budgets, the NIL opportunities and playing at Allegiant Stadium, the home of the Raiders as well, too. Wouldn't you think that, OK, if there's ever a time, this is probably the best time to turn this program around? Well, Las Vegas is also a destination place to live. Exactly. It's not like right. some backwater somewhere where there's nothing to do, so you'll have your family gutted out while you you work your way up to the next job, right? I mean, you could you could make a home in Las Vegas and be happy about it, and so th- that's also important because um, you know I mean you're going to need to attract and retain very good teachers. But you mentioned NIL, and that's that's a really important thing. I mean, you look at Deion Sanders uh, being hired at Colorado, right, and that is such a great hire for them because there is money in the area for NIL, but Colorado has lagged way behind other schools that they compete with in terms of what they can offer in terms of NIL and what better way to get NIL um, money shaken loose than to promise one-on-one time with Deion Sanders, for goodness sake. So that makes sense. And with Barry Odom, he's not the flashy guy like Deion is. But he's a guy who is just solid, and he'll have a plan to develop a winner. And NIL people, especially what they want is to be associated with winning, and they want credit for it. And I think I think Coach, being in the SEC, understands what it will take to uh, attract and retain NIL people to give them what they want in return for what they're giving him what, what he wants, which is the NIL money, because without that, you're you're in trouble. Now, they don't have to compete with USC and UCLA for NIL. They've got to compete with, you know, New Mexico and, you know, the other Mountain West teams. And that's hard enough to do. But there's so much money in Las Vegas, you would think that if it was done right, that they could become a Mountain West NIL powerhouse. And I'm sure that Coach Odom is is thinking about how we can get that done. All right. You mentioned Deion Sanders. Uh, Some quick thoughts about him taking the job at Colorado, them offering him the job. And a lot of people don't realize this guy's, you know, what, three, four seasons over at Jackson State and has done incredibly well. Yeah, he was undefeated this last year. They're going to the Celebration Bowl now, have a chance to to finish the whole thing out. His son, Shadur, 
Sanders is one of the best quarterbacks at the FCS level. I mean, he is, he's just terrific. He was able to attract and recruit players that would have gone to the FBS into the power five to Jackson state, which is one of the reasons that he, he had so much success there. But when it comes to Colorado, you know, these are things that, that help as well because, you know, Deion Sanders is nationally known and he can walk into the, into the living room anywhere in the country. People might not know much about Colorado, but they know a whole lot about Deion Sanders. And, and I think what, what fans ought to know is that not only is he a solid football coach and he is, he's not just flashy. He's solid. He also is solid when it comes to his expectations for the personal conduct of his players. You know, he wants them to dress nice. He wants them to be on time, actually early, to their classes and sit up front in the classes and to treat women with respect, to be honest in everything they do. He, he's, he's very much old school when it comes to his expectation of personal conduct. And in this day and age when personal conduct seems to be focused on what's the best way to get the most social media likes, so whatever outrageous stuff you can do is what goes, I think parents will appreciate that when they put their kids with Deion Sanders as a coach, they're actually going to have an honest-to-goodness mentor to develop them in a way that they'll leave that program as, as young men in position to start their life with, with the right, doing the right things and understanding the way things should be done. That is a great point, Trevor, because people have this image of Deion Sanders as being this brash, cocky guy, because that's the way he kind of portrayed himself on the field. But the guy has really matured, and to be a head coach, no matter what level it is, I mean, you, you have to have a sense of maturity, and you're right. I mean, those are great points that you brought up, and that's the truth. I mean, th- this guy really has developed into a true leader. Yes, and with the credibility. Yes. Right now, in, in this cancel culture, I mean, you can say things – and you can require things, and you can be questioned. Whether that's fair or not, you, you, you can be definitely questioned. Deion Sanders doesn't care what people question about him. He's going to do what he thinks is right. And there's a, there's a certain moat around his program because of that, and that's, that's important. Trevor Mass joins us, ESPN College football analyst, the multi, multi, multi Emmy Award winner. We'll just leave it at that. 15 plus, 17 plus. There you go. All right, my man, college football playoff. Here we go. Uh, We got a couple, two and a half, three weeks to hype this thing up. TCU, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia. Give me some quick thoughts here on uh, on both of these games. Let's start with TCU and Michigan. We saw the Horned Frogs lose to to K-State, but they still had enough to get in. And Michigan, Trevor... You know, they're an eight-point favorite in this game, but a lot to be desired when you look at two of their last three games. I'm going to go back to that Illinois game where they were life and death to win, and Purdue gave them all they can handle. Should we be a little concerned about the Wolverines at this juncture? Yeah, they're not invincible by any stretch, but but let me give you a, um, a way to look at Michigan, right? When it comes to toughness. You know, you want guys that can get hit in the mouth by the opponent. They taste their own blood in their mouth. Their teeth are on the ground, and they smile because they like the taste. They smile because the pain feels good, and they line up and smash you the next play. And which of the four teams remaining in this playoff do you have the most trust would have that kind of physical attribute? And I would say Michigan. Michigan. Right? Yes. And be- yep. they, they are lacking in certain things. What is the passing attack? People think that because they had three touchdown passes against Ohio State of 
uh, 45 or more yards that, boy, their passing attack, it's just fantastic. Well, no, it's not. I mean, it's okay. But, you know, on one of them, the first one, uh, there was a big blitz. They hit the quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, as he threw. Uh, it was a, a great throw to a short out on the left sideline to Cornelius Johnson. And all the defensive back had to do was either tackle him there or turn him inside because there was a linebacker on the way. And there was only a linebacker because there was no deep safety because everyone was up at the line to stop the run and pressure the quarterback if they threw it. Well, what the defensive back did was he came too far inside, mental mistake, technique mistake, and he allowed the receiver to get to the outside, and he ran up the sideline for 69 yards for a touchdown, which was really more bad defense than good offense. You know, it's the same way when you look at uh, Donovan Edwards had touchdown runs late against Ohio State for Michigan of 75 and 85 yards, but on one of them there was only one deep safety. And on the other one, there was no deep safety. Everybody else was up on the line to stop the run. And if you have one small mistake where a guy's in his gap, but not quite as far in his gap as he needs to be, which happened on both of those, then he breaks through and there's nobody left. And it's just a track meet, right? And so Michigan's offense seems like it's a big play machine, but it's not. And especially in the passing game, they're not terribly efficient uh, in that passing game. And so that that's going to be interesting. Having said that, it is a fight of styles in this game, Michigan-TCU, because Michigan has the most brutally physical offensive line in college football. And even without their star running back, Blake Corum, who, who missing with injury, they still have a stable of running backs to come downhill at you. TCU won't counter with the same kind of physicality. They can't. Very few teams in college football can't. TCU will spread the field with tremendous skill. A wide receiver and running back and a quarterback in Max Duggan, who's a Heisman finalist, I believe now, who can beat you running and beat you throwing. And they'll try to beat you in, in the new school way of just getting you into space and having athletes that can beat your athletes in space. So this is a, a, you know, a, an example of styles make fights, Michigan with the physical brutality and TCU with tremendous skills that they can spread you out with. You know, in Ohio State, Georgia, Trevor, you know, uh, we talked about it last week, and I think that you were you were on board with me thinking that, okay, Alabama may be deserving here. I'm just saying that, man, I sure would like to see Georgia and Alabama in this game more so than Georgia and Ohio State. And I know Ohio State is formidable, no question about it, but still cannot get that out of my brain, you know, what what happened last time they were on the football field, losing at home by 22 points to Michigan. Uh, yep. Did you feel the committee got it right? Yeah, you know, I think they got it right because it's it. You and I agreed that right now, today, Alabama's playing better than either TCU or Ohio State. Right. And if it were just that, then yeah, put them in in the top four. But you still have to take care of business. And they were one of the most penalized teams in the country for much of the season. Certainly, they ended as one of the most penalized teams. They ended the season at I think 107 in the nation in most drop passes, second most drop passes in the SEC. Right. So just a lot of undisciplined play by Alabama over the course of the entire season. Some of that they cleaned up a bit late, especially the receivers became a little bit better. Um, but at the same time, you got to take that into account. And so I think it's perfectly fair to put Ohio State with that one bad loss in there. Also, when you look at the way that they lost, you know, they gave up five long touchdowns and you can make the case that every single one of those touchdowns was, was a, a defensive mistake often by a backup player. And so they are still accountable for that. But here's the deal about this matchup. Ohio State still is one of the best teams in the country. Ohio State still moved the ball well against Michigan, even though they had so many injuries 
uh, their top two running backs were out. They ended up having to play a, a linebacker. They converted to running back. And he was the guy down the stretch for the Buckeyes that they were counting on in the running game, for goodness sake. And they moved the ball between the 20s, but they weren't able to punch it in because they, you know, their running game just wasn't that good. And it looks like at least Mayan Williams, one of their top two running backs, looks like he'll be back. We'll see as time goes on here um, exactly who they'll have available. But as long as they've got at least Williams back at running back, this Ohio State team with their offensive line can match up with Georgia with their running game, can make Georgia respect them, and still has one of the best, if not the best, passing attacks in all of college football. And so when you put all that stuff together, last time we saw Ohio State, they didn't look like they could match up with Georgia, but the mistakes they made against Michigan are correctable. I mean, easily correctable. So I think Georgia is going to have a a much – um, it's very likely that Georgia will have a much tougher, t- tougher time of it than Georgia fans think they might. Let's put it that way. All right, we got three weeks to continue talking about it and hype it up. All right, my man, I appreciate it, uh, as always. Uh, great stuff. We'll look forward to talking with you on Friday. We'll let you uh, go do some homework and get ready for your best bets. Continue oh. to stay on fire. Well, yeah, you guys, oh, you, you're making money, TC, Scott, and Marco. Everybody's making money this year. It's been a heck of a year for the group. It's been good. No, it has been. And we usually do that. I mean, I'm very proud of the, of the group that we assemble, you know, each and every season. I mean, everyone uh, does very well, but, uh, happy for you, my man. And we look forward to talking with you on Friday. Thanks, PC. There he is, Trevor Maddich, ESPN. All right, we come back. Uh, we are going to turn our attention to Mills Lane. We talked about him a lot yesterday about passing at the age of 85. Again, a Nevada stalwart uh, who refereed some of the biggest boxing matches in the history of, of the world. We are going to talk to his contemporary, Kenny Bayless, uh, who is obviously the most recognizable and the best referee uh, right now who was actually trained under Mills uh, Lane. So Kenny Bayless will join us as well as Al Bernstein, who obviously Al uh, knew Mills Lane very, very well as we continue our tribute in our memories with Mills Lane coming up next. This is boxing referee Kenny Bayless and what I say you must obey. So be sure to catch up with the broadcast at tcmartinshow.com. That is the man. That's right. What'd he say? We must obey. One of the great catchphrases. And uh, we are going to talk about the guy who invented the catchphrase. Mills Lane passes away at the age of 85. We talked a lot about this yesterday. We talked with Mark Ratner yesterday, the former executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and Joe Cortez, another Hall of Famer. And I can guarantee you, a soon-to-be Hall of Famer, who is the heir apparent to Mills Lane today, the best boxing referee there is who has refereed and officiated so many world championship title fights. The one and only Kenny Bayless joins us now. KB, what is up, my man? That's much, my brother. Everything is good. How you doing, TC? I'm good, man. I'm good. Hey, I know it was a very sad day for you yesterday, like all of us that are so close and involved in this uh, boxing business, to hear the news of, of Mills Lane uh, passing on at the age of 85 in Reno yesterday. And I know, Kenny, that uh, Mills was someone that you looked up to and you had a chance to actually learn from. Uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how you felt when you got the news about Mills Lane and, and what he meant to you. Yeah, well, like you said, T.C., uh, um, when, when I initially got involved in, in, in boxing and, and became a, 
inspector with the Nevada Commission. Uh, I used to be in the dressing room when, when Mills used to come in and give uh, uh, fight instructions. And it was great for me because at the time I was in the Golden Glove Amateurs, and so I was learning. Not only in the amateurs, but watching Mills, Richard Steele, uh, Baby Pearl, you know, all the, the referees of, uh, back in the day, I studied them. And it was a, a, a privilege for me to be in the position that I was to learn and watch these guys because then I was able to implement uh, uh, what I learned from them, from their movement, from their instructions in the dressing room, from their ring generalship in the ring to, uh, to uh, you know, put, put my works together as uh, my style as far as being the referee, uh, you know, that I am today. So it was very re rewarding for me uh, uh, to, to, to learn from those guys. And, and, and then uh, yesterday in, in hearing about uh, Mills' passing, I, I know both uh, uh, Mills' sons, uh, uh, Terry and Tommy, and, and I, my, my heart and condolences is out to him, uh, to them, uh, their mother and family. Kenny, I remember, and we've talked about this before, and I've talked about it just outside of you of the show, that how I remember those days in the early 90s going to the top-ranked gym and seeing you work and train on your craft. And again, you know, working under like the guidance and the tutelage of those men that you talked about, including Mills Lane there. And, uh, you know, that's why you are so good at what you do today because you take it so seriously and you learn from the best in the business. There's no question about that. What made Mills so good at what he did and so special? Well, I tell you, the, the thing that for me that made Mills, uh, uh so good and, and so special uh, uh, was, uh, first of all, uh, Mills, uh, I, I'm six feet, and Mills was probably, and I'm just guessing around five, six, yeah, right, five, right. five top, but Mills could handle uh, uh, any weight division, I don't care how big or small, uh, heavyweight, it made no difference, and, and uh, he took control. And as referees, that's the number one thing uh, uh, that we have to do well, I won't say the number one. I mean, safety of the fighters is number one. But but uh, the, taking control, uh, making sure that the fighters are fighting within the rules, and uh, if, if points need to be taken, uh, uh, you're, you're ready to, to do so. And, and Mills uh, amplified all of that. I mean, he, he brought his A game every time he stepped in the ring. Kenny Bayless uh, joins us in talking about thoughts and memories of Mills Lane, the catchphrase. He was the first that came up with let's get it on. And when we were talking, you know, uh, to Mark Ratner and Joe Cortez yesterday, Kenny, uh, I, I, it was my guess that, you know, that's nothing that he kind of prepared. It was probably just something that, that, that came to his mind that, you know, he had this big, this big match and he said, Hey, let's, let's get it on. And next thing you know, boom, it stuck with him. And then we know guys like yourself and Joe Cortez, you know, you guys came up with your own catchphrases, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it all started with Mills Lane. It started with Mills Lane. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, CC, my, my, uh, uh, once uh, I got appointed by the Nevada Commission, and I was in for I think it was about a couple of years. My my middle son said to me, "Dad, you need a catchphrase," <laughs> and 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 that really wasn't 
wasn't my thing. I said, well, son, that, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in having a catchphrase. He said, no, Dad, you need to have a catchphrase. And he was the one that brought that, uh, what I say you must obey, to me first. Uh, uh, it was a little different at the time he brought it up. I kind of cleaned it up a little bit, and because it it, it, it kind of rolled right into uh, what we normally say uh, uh, back in the day, uh, uh, you know, listen to our, our commands at all times. So it, I, I, I rolled with it, and it, it stuck, and uh, yeah, I still use it today. There you go, my man. How about some memories of Mill Lane, Mills Lane? Uh, talk a little bit about, about him and your relationship with him. And I'm sure you probably have a funny story or two as well. Well, you know, Mills uh, was uh, a, a site and, and, and lived up in Reno. Um, so um, the, the referees at the time that we had up in Reno was uh, a, a great referee, uh, uh, Vic Draculich and, and, uh, and, and so back in the day, there were times that I used to, to go up to, to Reno and do fights, uh, as well as Mills and Vic Draculich would come down to, uh, to Vegas and, and, and do fights. So, so, you know, we, it was, it was great when, when, when they came down as well as me going up because, you know, you, you learn. It, it's all about learning. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I just can't think of a a, a story a, a, a right off hand that uh, uh, that 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 Mills uh, um, uh, may have been involved in. Uh, TC, I, I can't think of any other than uh, uh, back in the day when when Mills did come down. Um, uh, Mills would attend the uh, the weigh-in, and and uh, as of today, uh, we don't attend the way in uh, no officials do uh judging or refereeing but but uh but 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 Mills was so solid uh, in his demeanor and and the way he carried himself uh he did and uh it's just a, a tribute to the way he carried himself and the way he uh uh, uh, performed in the ring. A lot of people, Kenny, don't realize how difficult it is to be a referee at the highest level. And you, Mills, Joe Cortez, everybody that you've mentioned has uh, has been there. Uh, talk a little bit about climbing that mountain and how difficult it is uh, to be a man in your position in the center of that ring and the responsibility that you hold. Well, um, people don't know, and, and, and I do a lot of of, of uh, I was just at a seminar uh, uh, just uh, last week in Phoenix. Um, um, it was uh, an ABC seminar, the the uh, Association of, of Boxing Commissions, and and they had a referee seminar, and, and and I went, and I went because we're never too old to learn, and and plus at the seminars they they refresh a lot of things that 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 go on, and. And our minds have to be refreshed because there are times certain fouls or things may happen in the ring that uh, that may happen, or I may have had to experience it uh, five or six or eight or ten years ago. And and so these seminars are always great to go to. Uh, sometimes I'm involved in the seminar as far as teaching, and uh, but other times I'm I'm there listening, and it's it's it's, it's good for us because when we're in that ring, I tell people. We're under the microscope. 
people are watching, uh, as well as the fans, as well as the commission, as well as the fighters, as well as uh, the trainers, the, the cut men, the fight doctors, the inspectors. And, 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 and we're not perfect. We make mistakes. I've made mistakes. But we try to minimize the, the number of mistakes we make because it's all about the athlete, giving them our best performance as to what uh, uh, they're doing in the ring. And, and like I mentioned earlier, safety is always number one for us. We have to know when a fighter has had enough. There are fighters that want to continue, but, but, but yet they, they've exhausted themselves to the point to where they're taking too much. So um, it's always an ongoing uh, a battle for us uh, when we're in, in, in the ring and doing what we're doing. But, again, it's, it's, it's about safety. It's about fairness. And, and, uh, and, and I try to do it every time I step in, it, uh, step in the ring to, to, the high, to, to the highest level. And you certainly do that, my friend. Nobody does it better than you. You take uh, your job very, very seriously, and you're there to protect Thanks. the fighter. Uh, again, you know, one of the best. Kenny, I appreciate the time as always, brother. Always great seeing you, talking with you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you around uh, at the next uh, fight. So uh, stay well, my friend, and uh, congratulations. Continue success. Thank you. Thank you very much, TC, and uh, happy... Uh holidays to you and your family and and your and your fan base as well you got that right appreciate you kenny b love you brother take care i'll be back love you back you got it there he is he's the best kenny bayless one of the best referees in boxing fortunate enough again to have him part of the show referees don't come on shows you know they used to be forbidden pretty much by the nevada state athletic commission and i remember when bob bennett um you know was the executive director he I had to ask Bob. I said, hey, Bob, do you mind if I have Kenny Bayless on? And he goes, well, usually referees don't come on. You know, uh, we, we kind of keep them out of the spotlight. And uh, Kenny's always been gracious enough to come on. So uh, really appreciate him. Really appreciate his fen- friendship and just uh, one of the best guys around. All right, we continue on uh, talking about uh, Mills Lane. And again, we talked to Mark Ratner yesterday, Joe Cortez, uh, you know, Hall of Famers. Just heard from Kenny Bayless. And then... Let's continue talking to our Boxing Hall of Famers. The one and only Al Bernstein, of course, joins us now. Al, what is going on, my friend? Uh, well, it's good to talk to you. Um, sorry we're talking about a sad topic um, in terms of Mills Lane, but always good to be with you. Yeah, Al. Uh, I know that, uh, again, you covered you know Mills uh, you know, up close and personal from afar. I can only imagine the stories and the memories that uh, you have. How much interaction, you know, did you have with Mills Lane during the course of his boxing career as a referee? Well, you know, it's interesting. I had more contact with him afterwards because um, I was involved in a couple of things that he did, a couple of TV things that he was involved in, uh, a promotional company that Tony Holden put together that had Mills Lane as a big part of it. And so I got to spend um, a fair amount of time with him. Um, And it was nice because it wasn't, you know, connected with him being a referee and it wasn't just, you know, a real brief encounter. And during that period of time, you know, I came to know what everybody does about Mills Lane, that he is just a super straight shooter, um, a very affable and pleasant guy, 
<clears throat> who um, is fair to everybody he's around, and uh, and it was a delight. I was going to ask you, Al, you know, what was Mills like, I mean, outside of the ring? You know, very, yeah, I, I found him to be very affable. And very, you know, I know he's got that, you know, he was a, a prosecutor and a judge um, and and a referee where he's, you know, uh, adjudicating a boxing match. But I personally found him to be, you would think that kind of guy, a former Marine, you know, a very, a very no-nonsense kind of guy, which is true. But I found him also to be a, a delightful guy and a guy with a good sense of humor who who could get along with anybody. You know, he could chat with anybody regardless of their station in life or who they were, you know, what they were, what they did. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why he was so well-respected in the boxing industry. Uh, and most people felt that, you know, he was looking at things, you know, in a fair way. And, you know, <laughs> he had some weird times, of course, and I'm sure you guys have already talked about the the crazy Tyson incident. And just three weeks after that, he had the Lennox Lewis, Henry Akinwande fight, which Akinwande kept following over and over again and wouldn't follow any of his instructions. Um, And so he had a period there where, uh, and in boxing, there is no end to how many nutty things can happen, right? So the referee is the guy that's faced with all of And the thing about it is, Al, you mentioned two of those bizarre fights that he officiated obviously uh, the holyfield tyson two, the the bite fight in in mills lane was not even the uh, the referee that was supposed to officiate that match i was supposed to be mitch halperin and if you remember tyson's camp says no we don't want halperin and mills lane was a last minute addition to do that fight yeah. and again the way he officiated that was uh was tremendous and and while we're talking about that Al I know that uh, I believe you know you you were covering that I know I don't know if you were on the broadcast or not but just maybe covering that uh, what was your opinion on how Mills handled that bizarre situation Well it was almost you know it t- completely unprecedented right right um, and and I thought he he did handle it well because you had to I mean yeah that was one of those things where if you're refereeing that, or you have to take a step back to just, first of all, to just realize it's actually happening. And then, you know, finally, when you realize that it's the case, you have to take assertive action, which he did with the, you know, the point and then the, the disqualification. Um, and there was no other way to, to really to, to handle that. And he did it with, um, you know, and he did it in a timely manner. Uh, which is important. Yeah, and you mentioned you know that fight, and then the Lennox Lewis uh, Henry Akinwande fight, just three weeks apart. But I forgot all about this until we were talking to Mark Ratner yesterday, and he reminded me that he was also the referee with the Fan Man incident as well. Yeah, and, exactly. That's, yeah, yeah. Also, that, yeah, right. And then he, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you, and of course, you know. These events that happen in boxing, because you know you can't even duplicate them. You know, I keep thinking after 42 years of announcing boxing that I'm not going to see something different than what I've seen, and that never is the case. There's always something different, and who could have ever thought of the idea of the the fan man um, 
happening uh, where he flew in and went across the ring and crashed into all the people. And I mean, you know, both uh, Mills Lane, Holyfield, and Bo could have all, could have both been killed or or injured. All three of them, if he had landed, uh, you know, right on them in the ring. Outdoors at Caesar's Palace, and uh, I, I was at all of those uh, those crazy events, Alan. I thought, you know, how crazy it is for me. And I always like I tell those stories, but I can't even imagine what it's like for Mills Lane to be in the center of this, to live through this. And in another one that I remember too, and I remember being there as well too, the night at the Las Vegas Hilton when Oliver McCall had this meltdown and he just was started crying and he basically quit in the middle of the ring. And Mills Lane was, was refereeing that fight too. Yeah. He was like, a Mills was, I mean, we can, as we say these, we think, Oh my God, did Mills Lane do any normal boxing? Of course he did hundreds of those, but, but he was, because he was also called upon to do so many of the championship matches Hmm. that, the, the actual odds of him being involved in these wacky events mm-hmm. were higher. And the Oliver McCall situation was an example of it as well. And, and here's the other weird thing, right? All of these seem to involve heavyweights, don't they? That's true. Is, That's true. You know, <laughs> and, and I think most people will tell you that for in general, more of the nutty things, not always, but more than nutty things tend to happen with heavyweight fights. Why that is exactly, I don't know. And we know that Mills Lane was like five, six, maybe uh, a, a buck uh, fifty-five or a buck sixty at most, right? And he's refereeing these these gigantic heavyweights, and he mm-hmm. can and and everybody that we talked, they said, hey, but he he got those assignments because he could handle these guys. Yeah, he did, and of course he was a wiry guy, even in up when he was up in years, he was. You know, always in great shape, fit as could be, uh, and and he understood the way to do it, which is a key element as well. So, um, you know, I mean, it, it, and I think that's a big part of it. You know, his refereeing technique was good, and um, and while he's known for the flamboyant, let's get it on, and all the rest of it, at the end of the day, he was a sound, technically sound referee who tried to see the treat all the fighters fairly. Um, and I wish I could tell you that every single referee in boxing uh, does that all the time, but they don't. Sure. <laughs> Al Bernstein uh, joins us talking about the late Mills Lane, who passed away at the age of 85 yesterday. Well, you mentioned, Al, how you got a chance to spend time with Mills outside of the boxing ring and after he retired, you know, in 1998, uh, and, and a lot of fans will remember, you know, Judge Mills Lane. I was just, I mean, yeah. when, when you're talking to me about, you know, spending time with Mills and doing TV projects, I'm just wondering now, you weren't a defendant or anything, were you on Judge Mills Lane? I was not. No, I did not appear in front of Judge Mills Lane on the, um, on his show. Um, and I'm kind of glad I didn't. Who knows, you know, what could have befallen me. And uh, he could have threw, he could have threw down uh, more than the letter of the law at Jal. You never know. You know, he could be a rough one. That is, that is for sure. Yeah. No, he was actually at the time when I was doing what I did within this series, it was around that same time. I don't know if it was just before, just after the, mm the uh the tv series but um you know it, it makes sense for them to have that tv series and i think people got a kick out of it uh, i'll take judge uh, mills over judge judy any day anytime or even judge joe brown you know well, i well yeah i will 
for many reasons. The number one being that I think Judge Judy is one of the most despicable human beings that's ever walked the planet. So, I, I, yes, I would very much prefer Mills Wayne over her. That sounds like a, an entire uh, another segment to some other time. So we'll say another, that. Uh, yeah, for another for another episode. All right, my, you, don't, you don't hear me say that too often, do you? I don't. That's why uh, that's uh, very good, very intriguing. Okay, I'm sure listeners yeah, love that. A, I'll throw a, that's a, a nugget I threw out of you guys. And by the way, if you don't mind me just throwing this in, I am very pleased with the UMLV uh, coaching hire. Yes, yes, we got a chance to see uh, Barry Odom today, and uh, I think he'll he'll do well. We're rooting for him, so I think it's a good hire, yeah. especially a guy with previous head coaching experience out of the SEC. Exactly. That's great. All right, Al. Uh, before we hey, let you go, hey. go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I'm just going to say, uh, tell us what uh, what you got going on. The next time we're going to see you on boxing, and more importantly, when uh, are we going to yeah, see you with yeah, Kenny Davidson? Got... Yeah, well, I host I co-hosted Kenny's show actually uh, uh, two weeks ago. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I'm going to be uh, – our next Showtime show is here in Las Vegas on the 17th at the Cosmopolitan. Uh, and uh, it's a very good fight. Michelle Rivera against Frank Martin, two of the top lightweights in the world facing each other. And the winner presumably should have a title match against somebody in a, a very talented division. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to it. So it's a home game for me. It's a home game, Al, and that's that's a busy time. So I'm going to be going crazy that day. But I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm going to ta- tap off my night because we've got the Las Vegas Bowl. Then we got UNLV and USF. And then we got oh, Al, wow, Al Bernstein. It's all the 17th. It's, it's going to be a busy day, busy night. I mean, my calendar's oh my full. God, that is a big, I forgot all those things were happening that day. That's wild. There you go. All right, my friend. Hey, I uh, appreciate uh, you joining us uh, as always. And I, and again, thank you for filling in for me when I was uh, back at the World Series as well. That was like, you know, so much you. fun. I really enjoyed it. So I appreciate uh, you asking me, and uh, I'm glad I got a chance to visit with you. No question, brother. Okay, we we'll look forward to... Uh, to eating some good meals together very, very soon, my friend, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. You got it. Take care. There he is, Al Bernstein, one of the best. And again, uh, you know, part of our great boxing crew that we always have on here, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about uh, major fights or then on a day like today, it's very sad news where we talk about the passing of Mills Lane. So yesterday we talked to Mark Ratner and uh, Joe Cortez, a couple of International Boxing Hall of Famers, and then two more today with Al Bernstein and soon-to-be Hall of Famer, guarantee that, referee Kenny Bayless. All right, uh, appreciate uh, Trevor Match in Houston. Nut joining us today, talking a little college football playoff, and Barry Odom the new head coach at UNLV. All right, so we'll continue to talk about that. And uh, Barry Odom gets settled in here in Las Vegas, and hopefully it goes well for him, everyone rooting him on here in Las Vegas, and hopefully get this Rebels football program on track. Basketball side, Kevin Kruger, they're 7-0. They're going for 8-0 tonight as the Rebels play University of Hawaii. Now tonight's game, Dollar Loan Center in Henderson against the University of Hawaii. Check it out, 7 o'clock tonight. And then Saturday, UNLV is in action against Washington State, uh, part of the Clash uh, doubleheader at the MGM Grand. And the other match coming up on Saturday night is Arizona and Indiana. So got a lot of great stuff happening here in Las Vegas in the next few days. All right, if you missed any part of the show, go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. Check it all out there. And again, our tribute to Mills Lane. Those interviews are up there and everything else. We'll catch you tomorrow right here at 2.